This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Texas discussing a high school dance that turned into a murder mystery. Then we'll talk about an unsolved murder and the dad that will not give up searching for answers. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Lone Star State. Why is football such a big deal in Texas? Well, some say that it's because football is the closest sport to war, and the Texans had to fight to form the Republic of Texas in 1836. Whatever the reason, football is a big deal in Texas. The experience of Friday Night Lights starts at the high school games. If you can imagine, being the star quarterback of the team pretty much instantly makes you a cool dude. Everyone knows your name and who you are. Mix that with dating the beautiful cheerleader, and you're pretty much a walking stereotype for the cool kids in any Brat Pack movie. I'm going to tell you about a case today that will take you back to your own high school nostalgia, for better or for worse. So my case today was actually suggested to me by you. And I have not any clue what it's about. That's funny because I just assumed you knew about it. Well, when I Googled it, a picture popped up and I immediately remembered it. And at first I thought we covered it because it was so clear to me, the case. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we covered this. I looked back through our Instagram just to make sure. But it's because I saw an episode about it from the DNA of murder with Paul Holes. Mm-hmm. And then I it was on an episode of Forensic Files 2. So for whatever reason, it was just really fresh in my memory. And I'll mention more about a show later. So today I'll be telling you about Carla Jan Walker, who was an all-American girl living in the suburbs of Fort Worth, Texas. Carla was the fifth of six children and had a very tight-knit family. She was known as outgoing, good-spirited, feisty, and stubborn. The nickname her family gave her was Little Spitfire. She was just 4'11", barely 100 pounds. Tiny That's little tiny. thing. Yep. She was a hardworking student and was active in her school's paper, the tennis club, and she was a cheerleader. She was well-liked in school and was really friends with everyone. She was beautiful and popular, but by all accounts, she wasn't a mean girl. So the stereotypical popular girl you think of, she wasn't Regina George. She wasn't she was Regina nice. George. Yes, exactly. She was Gretchen Wiener. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not Gretchen. So she planned on going to summer school the year before her senior year of high school so that she could graduate a semester early. After that, she was going to attend a junior college to get her gen eds, and then she would move on to a university like maybe Texas Tech. Carla had a boyfriend named Rodney McCoy, who was a senior and the quarterback on the senior varsity football team. Aww. He played baseball as well. But, you know, he cheerleader, dating the quarterback. Of course. They're the it couple. It's Texas. Yes. In February of 1974, they had been dating for about a year, and she was 17, he was 18. Rodney was sweet and polite, and he was very close to Carla's family. He'd often have dinner with her whole family. They would just set out a plate for him, thinking he was going to come over. Aww. Her family would even attend his games and thought of him as a son. Just so sweet. Everything. So we hear a lot about toxic relationships on this podcast, of course, with young people and older people. Mm -hmm. But this is not one of them. They were a happy couple. They both had a lot of friends. But of course, they typically wanted to spend most of their time with each other. You know how it is Mm -hmm. when you're young and in love. No, Lacey. How does it feel how when does you're in it love? Feel? <laughs> Young and in love. <laughs> Not 33. So they seemed to have a hopeful and positive future together after high school. People thought they would make it. On the evening of February 17, 1974, Carla and Rodney attended a Valentine's Day dance together at the Western Hills High School. Her long blonde hair flowed down around her shoulders. She was wearing pink and white. She looked cute in her dress, and Rodney looked sharp in his blazer and tie. They both had on matching corsages. In fact, 
Rodney got there a little late because he initially forgot the corsage. He's like, no, I can't forget that. He had to run back and get it. But they looked adorable. They were beaming from ear to ear in all the photos. And a couple of months prior, Rodney had given Carla a promise ring. Not a promise ring? Yes. (sighs) Oh, boy. How many of those did you have? I made a few. (laughs) (laughs) Promises were broken. Spoiler alert. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, he said the ring meant to him, I'm here. I'm yours. I promise you. I know it's just so sweet. That's, I can't even get a second date. (laughs) The evening of the dance, Rodney met Carla at her place to pick her up. And then he drove them to dinner at a place called The Wharf, which was a seafood place. Then they headed off to the dance in the cafeteria. Think back to your high school dances. To me, this feels like yesterday. I can just envision the cafeteria. Everything about this story. I think that's why it really... touched me. I'm just like, man, it's brought back a lot of nostalgia and all the tables pushed against the wall. Yes. All the, everything being awkward. Yeah. Terrible punch. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. So many emotions. So, uh, oof. Well, Carla and Rodney had a great time at the dance and they left with another couple around 1130. They dropped the other couple off at their car at the high school about an hour later. So they hung out for about an hour So then Carla and Rodney drove to Taco Bell and met up with some other friends. So after 1 a.m., they went to the bowling alley after they were done hanging out with friends because she had to use the restroom. The Taco Bell bathroom was out of order. The local bowling alley was known as a place where people could freshen up, use the restroom, whatever. So she went there. When she was done, they walked back to Rodney's car in the parking lot and got in. So he's, of course, in the driver's seat. Carla was in the passenger seat. They'd been with friends all night. Now they finally had some time alone. Uh-oh. Their seats were leaned back. Kissy face. He exactly. Rodney leaned over and kissed Carla. And they started necking. <laughs> Not necking. Yeah. I mean, it's the 70s. Oh, Isn't that what they said? They said that in the 90s. They started making out. But not even a minute later, the passenger door abruptly opened and a man grabbed a hold of Carla. Rodney began shouting while trying to grab Carla. And then the man looked right at Rodney and said, I'm going to kill you. Oh, my God. Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me her dad pulled up and snatched her out. So this was around 1 a.m., the bowling alley. I don't know if it was about to close or if it was just dead. Not like Nobody it, was there. no one was hanging out in the parking lot. Like it wasn't perfect place to so make no out. So no one witnessed this. Yes, exactly. Perfect place to make out, but no one witnessed Ugh. this. He then hit Rodney over the head with the butt of his pistol and took Carla completely out of the car at this point. So Rodney was stunned because he had just been pistol whipped, but he could still hear Carla screaming in the background. He attempted to crawl out the passenger door. But then the man pointed his pistol at him and pulled the trigger, not once, but three times. Oh, my God. But the gun did not fire. Something was wrong with it. Rodney was so woozy, though, from all the blows to the head that he went unconscious. He could remember hearing Carla screaming, stop hitting him to the man. And she went with him because she thought she would ki- he would kill Rodney. So that's why she ultimately... She's like, stop hitting him. I'll go with you. Stop. And then the last words Rodney could hear Carla screaming was, Rodney, go get my dad. Get my dad. Oh, my God. I hate this so much. I know. You're making out and then that happens. That's. You're high school. You're You're a child. child. Yeah. So a few what seemed like minutes passed and Rodney regained consciousness so at this point, he flew to Carla's parents' house. They only lived like less than a mile away. He probably looked like a bat out of hell mm-hmm. to other cars, but he didn't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, he slammed right into their curb. He was like halfway into their yard. He just ran out of the car, started beating on their door. And they opened the door like, what in the world's going on? They opened it up. They saw Rodney frantic. He looked like he'd been beaten. He was covered in blood. And he was just shouting, they got her, they got her. They're going to hurt her real bad. They got her. So they brought him inside. And, of course, it took a a couple moments to get the story because he was just like, first of all, he's uh, barely 
awake at this point. Mm-hmm. He's woozy. And then he's just like screaming and hysterical, of course, because he's terrified. So they get the info from him. He didn't know who this guy was. He didn't really get a good look at his face, but it, it was an older man. He didn't recognize him. So Carla's dad immediately grabbed his gun and his car keys, headed to the bowling alley while the mom called 911. He wasn't going to wait around. No, for, yeah. yeah. So by the time her dad got to the bowling alley, it was already closed. No one was there. And it's a 70s, so there's no CCTV. There's nothing. Oh, my God. There's nothing. So Rodney went to the hospital to get his wounds checked out while the police began the investigation. Her purse was the only thing that the police found in the parking lot of the bowling alley. Nothing was taken out of it. Since she was attacked and taken right after the Valentine's dance at her school, the investigators started looking there for possible suspects. They wanted to ask around and see if anyone stood out or if maybe anyone unusual was there. Mm-hmm. Or maybe drama happened. Sure, Who knows? Right. So they wanted to pretty much get a feel for how the night went. Also, most of the students were questioned, especially the ones she was close to or that saw her that night. There were search parties, officers on horseback, helicopters, family and friends scouring the area. And other than the bowling alley, they really were at a loss as to where she could be. There were no clues pointing to where she was taken. And he didn't see what they were driving. No. Because he just approached the car. Right, right. So, yeah, they didn't... He didn't see They anything. didn't notice a, a car watching them or anything oh. at all. It just, like, happened so quick out of nowhere. So, nearby was Benbrook Lake, so they also searched this area. Three days later, on February 20th, 1974, Carla's partially nude body was found, lying in a muddy cattle covert near the lake east of Highway 377 by an officer. Oh. I know. The autopsy revealed that she had been beaten, tortured, raped, and strangled to death. And toxicology reports also showed that she had been injected with morphine. Oh my God. I know. I hate when they inject people with things. I do too. Just don't put shit in me. Like, there's something about that that just adds to the. Yeah, it just makes it. uh It's. I don't even. uh, Because of the cold weather. It was difficult for them to de- to determine the exact time of her death. So they didn't know if it had happened right away or if maybe she had, had been, been drawn kept. out. Because they had searched that area, but it was beyond a, a barbed wire fence. Maybe they just missed her. So it, it's hard to say. They didn't know. So family and friends were devastated to receive this news. They were hoping for the best. I mean, they knew it was bad, but they were thinking, maybe we'll get a ransom note. Yeah. That's like... I mean, that's the most hopeful thing you can think of. Like, tell us what you want. We'll give you the money. So that just devastated them. And on Friday, February 22nd, they had Carla's funeral. And the 600-seat auditorium was filled double its capacity. People had to stand outside. It was so packed. She had an open casket. And the auditorium was set up in a way where to exit, you had to pass by her. Ugh. No. So the thing is, they the authorities wanted to do this so that they could scan the crowd. They were thinking maybe the killer's here. Which and is... That's valid. Yeah. I understand that. And they wanted to see if anything out of the ordinary happened when they passed by Carla's body. Yeah. But the other side of it, it's I was listening to an interview on the Gone Cold podcast about this case. And one of Carla's friends was talking about how this was extremely traumatizing. For a lot of them to have to, because you're a teenager, mm-hmm. these are, and some of them are younger teenagers. They're having to walk by their friend, who has been brutally murdered, and you have to. People take things their own way. Sometimes you want to see someone for closure. Sometimes you do not want to see it. It's so to have to be forced. Yeah, Mm-mm. I that Mm-mm. especially for teenagers. I'm like, oh, that, I just I don't love that. I understand why they were doing it, but. I, she said it was traumatizing and that many of her schoolmates felt the same way. And that after this, she wasn't able to attend another funeral for a really long time just because it was so traumatizing. And no one at the funeral stood out as being the killer. There were people mostly just crying and upset. Nothing weird happened. Time passed and there were no leads. And Rodney, because he's the only witness and he wasn't killed, he was just hit on the head and stuff always had an air of suspicion surrounding him. Yeah. Not by Carla's family, but just other people. They right. 
They never once thought he did it. But he was the only living witness, and he was interrogated multiple times, and he was asked the same questions over and over and over, So you know, but... Like trying to trip him up. Yeah, and he said it was just the thought of... He was the suspect, and he couldn't understand it. I mean, in hindsight, you know, of course, he's he was there, but he was just like... I could have never done this. He's hurting. Sure. And it's just, he's well, just he getting has berated. survivor's guilt. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And some question like, she died. Why is he still alive? Why Why didn't that guy kill him? Did he really fire his gun? You know, just an air of suspicion his whole life. So at the time of the crime in 1974, DNA was found on Carla's bra and was taken in for evidence. But there, of course, wasn't much they could do with it at the time. Now let's fast forward to 2019. Finally, there's adequate technology. And I'll say this about the investigators in the 70s. They knew that the DNA could potentially solve the case. Mm -hmm. They took great lengths to make sure that it wouldn't get contaminated. Gotcha. You hear some cases are just like, oh, let's put it in a baggie and throw it out, throw it on the shelf somewhere. In this case, they took very good care of that evidence. So friends of Carla Walker's family reached out to Paul Holtz. And if y'all don't know, he was an investigator instrumental in the April 2018 arrest of Joseph James D'Angelo, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer. He had a new show on Oxygen called DNA of Murder, which I really like the show. So he pretty much examined unsolved cases that had DNA at the scene in hopes of potentially helping solve the case. And they felt like Carla's case was a fit for the show, and it was. I remember the episode very clearly. So when detectives reopened the case, a deal was struck with Paul Holes that he would pay for advanced DNA testing. So detectives ran the preserved DNA evidence through several databases, and one genealogy database linked to three brothers with the McCurley surname as possible matches. Well, one of the McCurleys had been interviewed back in 1974. Glenn McCurley was interviewed but said that his gun had been stolen while he was fishing. Police learned that he was off work the night of the kidnapping and the next day, and his wife conveniently was out of town. He denied any involvement, and they couldn't find any proof or anything at the time. And it was also uncovered later that he lived near the Walker family, and some of his sons and his sons went to school with Carla's brother. So he was very close. Mm -hmm. In July of 2019, police obtained a sample of his DNA from his trash. It was a match to the DNA found on Carla's clothing. What? They found a McDonald's something and took it in. So they brought him in again for questioning. He still denied knowing anything, and he gave a voluntary DNA swab. Again, it matched. Yeah. So at this point, this was enough to arrest him. You know, you can't arrest yeah. if you've dug through the trash and sure. whatever. But he was 77 years old at the time of his arrest. And then when police were like, look, your DNA matches. We know you were there. He finally admitted to it, sort of. He claimed that some other man was trying to hurt her and that he helped her and that later they had consensual sex. No. He phrased it in an odd way. I can't remember exactly, but it was something like, no, it was consensual. She was compliant. That's not consent. Compliance I not consensual. Know. And <laughs> when you're talking about, I don't think you. That's not what that word means, sir. <laughs> and one of the detectives, that's a female. She's like, when she heard that, she's like, you don't talk about having sex with someone and then being like they were compliant. No, that's, was, that's 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 freaking no, weird. That's like, weird. No, stop. Don't ever use that word compliant. No, if you're, no, gross. So at first, he pleaded not guilty. Then during his trial, many people testified against him, and a video of, of his confession was played for the jury. So at first, he claimed he didn't know Carla, then talked about their consensual sex. Then later, he said, well, during the night, I was drinking beers and whiskey. I was driving around. I had a fight with my wife a couple of days ago, whatever. I was driving around Fort Worth and eh, got carried away. He kept shifting. During that confession, he went from saying that to saying, quote, I took advantage of her, I guess. I choked her to death, I guess. I'm guilty, I guess, for what happened to that little girl. Uh-uh. Him even calling her a little girl makes me want to vomit. Like, you snatched her out of a car. 
tortured her and raped her and murdered her. And you're like, I'm guilty for what happened to that little girl. Disgusting. Him calling her a little girl I just can't. makes me want to puke. Mm-mm. Ugh. Before the end of the trial, he changed his plea to guilty. And he was immediately sentenced in 2021 to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I'm a little surprised it wasn't death since it's Texas. Don't really? they have the death they penalty? They kill everybody. <laughs> but he's now spending his days behind bars at the Gibb Lewis unit in Woodville, Texas. So Glenn McCurley was married and had been for decades. And he had a couple of sons. I won't say his wife's name because I don't think she had any involvement or knew anything. But she was spotted talking to Carla's family throughout the trial. And supposedly after everyone left the courtroom and were in the hallway, she said she pondered her own kid's death during the primer. I wasn't able to find any details about this. So I, I'm assuming what that meant is one of her own children died and she was like thinking, did he have something? That's kind of what I took yeah. from it, but I could not find any oh details about that. Oh, Yeah, it's interesting to think about. So Carla's parents both passed away before they knew who her perpetrator was. But after hearing the news, her younger brother Jim said, quote, I would like to sit here and tell you, no, I never gave up hope. But there were times, there were really dark times, watching the pain of my mom. He said of Glenn McCurley, quote, we are praying for you. We don't hate you. I hope that the city of Fort Worth has prayers for the family, meaning Glenn's family. It's not their fault. We'll see justice served with prayers and forgiveness. We forgive him for what he's done. I really hope that one day when I'm in heaven, I want to see Glenn there too. That level of forgiveness. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like, wow. Rodney, Carla's high school sweetheart, is still alive today. And I'm happy that any air of suspicion surrounding him is finally totally gone. So Rodney told local news, quote, it's been 47 years. I had a cloud of suspicion on me for all those years. That's torment. And I felt like I let Mr. Walker down, his little flower, take care of my little flower. He was her protector. And it's just, it breaks my heart. He definitely has survivor's guilt. It just, ugh. So there's a Dateline episode about this case called After the Dance. And I'll try to find the episodes of DNA of Murder and Forensic Files 2. And I'll also link up the podcast Gone Cold and the other sources I used. But all the cases are awful that we talk about. But for some reason, this one just broke my heart start to finish. I'm not a crier, but this one I was tearing up multiple times during the research and the the episodes where you hear Rodney talking and just her brother. It's terrible. It's heartbreaking. It's just one of those that... It's like everything was perfect in her life. She was a nice person. She hadn't done anything bad. Rodney hadn't done anything bad. And it's just like some creepy asshole just comes around, just ruins, a, I mean, many lives. He ruined, ruined many lives. That's terrible. He, he's 77 years, well, 78 or 79 now. But he just, when I saw his picture, I'm like, I just wish he could get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. I'm just, mm, that's so, so, how do you go from, just driving around, drinking some beer because you're fighting with your wife to snatching a 17-year-old girl out of the car and injecting her with drugs and raping and murdering her. That's she like, wasn't alone No, either. It's that's just, what, yeah, and beat her boy. No. Uh-uh. It's so strange. And another thing that's strange is that he had no arrests similar to this. No like, prior. No rapes. Before or after Carla's murder, mm-hmm. no murders, no like domestic. His record was clean in terms of anything domestic or like rape and all that. And but I listened to a snippet of Paul Holes talking about this case, and he was saying doesn't mean he didn't right. Even though, because right. especially back then, mm-hmm. a lot of rapes went. Well, a, you a know, lot of women don't report, and it. a lot of women don't report it. So just because, yeah. We don't, there weren't any claims that, oh, this man raped me, blah, blah, blah. It might have happened still. It's just, it would be odd that he just did did something so bad to one person and one time. never Mm-mm. did it again. I don't know. Mm-mm. I know. That's sad. Thanks. You suggested it. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so I got halfway through it and <clears throat> I thought about doing the um, Servant Girl Annihilator 
killer from Austin, Texas, because it's like an 1800s case. You love a case back in the back in the I days. I like those because it's so removed. I don't right. know. There's something about it. It happened so long ago, whereas this one, I'm just like, man, this is just sad. But it's fairly recent. It's, you know, DNA stuff. It's going to, a lot of people are still going to be found. Sad. It, all these old men who think Gross. they got away with murder. Ugh. Nope. Gross. People like me are swabbing our mouths, making our family trees and coming for you. You better look out. Oh, let's take a break. Take a break. Okay, what do you got for me today? I don't know if you've ever heard of this case before. I hadn't until now. So Interesting. So here we go. 30 years ago, a rider from the UK was on a road trip on a greyhound across the United States to see the sights. He was about 100 miles outside of Houston, and he sees three billboards. They say, Vider Police botched up the case. Waiting for a confession, and this could happen to you. Another one on Interstate 10 says, Steve Page brutally murdered his wife in 1991. Vider Police Department does not want to solve this case. I believe they took a bribe. The Attorney General should investigate this case. This writer's name was Martin McDonough, and he wrote three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. This film was released in 2017 and would go on to win the Golden Globe and the BAFTA Award for Best Screenplay and the Golden Globe Award and BAFTA for Best Picture. Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell each won the Academy Award, Golden Globe Award, SAG Award, and BAFTA Award, as well as the Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor. Woody Harrelson received an Oscar. And to be honest, I've never heard of this movie before now. I it's have like heard of it. critically acclaimed. I have heard of it. I wanted to see it. I love her. And I'm her. surprised I haven't yet. I'm going to watch it. It's on my to-do list. But I love her and everything she's in. Mm-hmm. And I love Woody Harrelson. I love him too. He Sometimes though, when he when he plays a... He does it. A bad drunk or he's, mean person. He does it. You're like... You hate him, but then immediately yeah. later you're like, "Oh, he's, but, he's a good." Guy. But then he's in. Um, it's hard. What's, what's the zombie? Oh, is it Zombieland? Yes, and he's he's, 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 a, he's a good he's a good guy in Zombieland. So this is a fictional town called Ebbing, Missouri, where Mildred Hayes is grieving over the murder of her teenage daughter seven months earlier. She's angry over the lack of progress in the investigation, so she rents out three billboards near her home and posts on them. Despite harassment and threats, she's determined that the billboards stay up. So have I sparked your interest a little bit? Yeah, I need to watch this. So I'm going to tell you the true story that this film is based on now. Kathy Fulton Page was born in Mississippi on January 8, 1957 to James and Dorothy Fulton. She was raised in Vider, Texas and had three sisters and two brothers. You know who else is from Vider, Texas? Uh-uh. George Jones. The singer. Oh. The possum. You don't know who that is? The possum. That's what they call him. Why? I don't know. I don't know what the old folks are up to. So fast forward. Kathy meets Steve Page and the two get married. They go on to have two daughters, Erin and Monica. Steve works as an insurance salesman and Kathy as a waitress at Hoff Brothers Restaurant in Beaumont, Texas. On May 6, 1991, after 13 years of marriage, Kathy and Steve separate, and Steve moves into a condo close to Kathy to be near the girls and to help out with them. There are conflicting reports as if they were trying to work things out or if Mm -hmm. they were just getting divorced. Who knows? Neighbors would say that they would often hear them arguing and banging on the walls of their home. That's never good. On the night of May 13th, 1991, Kathy asks Steve if he will keep the girls so she can go out and meet with her friend Charlotte for drinks. So she leaves the house around 11.15. Around 4.45 a.m. on May the 14th, Kathy's black Mercedes is found by a mailman, nose down in a ditch just a hundred yards from her home. Kathy's dead body is found in the driver's seat. There appears to have been a crash. But upon closer inspection, investigators knew this was no accident. There was very little damage to the car. 
She had no injuries as far as they could see. And there were drinks like sitting in her cup holders that weren't spilled. Hmm. So she would have wrecked. Right. You see what I'm saying? Kathy's purse hadn't spilled out either. It was sitting in the driver's seat and hadn't spilled out. Hmm. Which my purse is slung all over my car oh, it, every day, all the time. All the time. Yeah. And I'm not even driving like Ricky Bobby. I'm just saying it just falls. So if she were to wreck, you would, you know, these are just things that are sticking out to the investigators. Right. Something else that stuck out to them was her feet. They were pushed back under her seat, not down by the gas pedal or brake. Hmm. She was also not wearing her seatbelt and her body was reclined, like laying back in the seat. It would have been the momentum of the crash would have thrust her forward. Right. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, but she was course. completely. Like the whole point her, of airbags, yeah. you know? Yeah. So this was clearly staged and this was a murder. There was no evidence that the brakes were used and the rearview mirror was turned towards the windshield, like sideways. So mm-hmm. somebody must have moved it. Kathy also had on no makeup or jewelry, which was odd because she was one of those girls that never left her house without being full face. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that was something that stuck out to everyone. So police remove her body, put her in an ambulance, and they noticed that the car was clean, but there was blood on the headrest. And so the whole thing's just off. They're like, this was staged. Like she was... She was dead before she was put in this car. Yeah. They already know this. Seems staged. So authorities go to her house and her estranged husband answers the door. They tell him that Kathy has just been found dead and Steve looks straight down the road where her car had been found. They didn't tell him where. They just said they had found her. But he looked Mm. right where her car had been found. He also told them that she had called him to babysit the girls while she went out for a drink with her friend the night before. Spoiler alert, she really went to meet a dude for a date in Beaumont. So when they first tell him, he's visibly upset, and then he's fine, and then he's upset. He's back and forth with his emotions, but he never sheds any tears. He's just, yeah, yeah. He also refuses to let the police come inside his home because he said he had other friends that have had evidence planted, so he was just trying to protect himself. So an autopsy is performed against Steve's wishes. Okay, what? Kathy had a broken nose. She had been strangled by a left-handed person. There was blood in her underwear, and she showed signs that she had been sexually assaulted. And it was later proven that the person who did this had a vasectomy. Mm. There was no blood on the outside of her clothes, but she did have blood on the back of her neck. So she was likely killed somewhere redressed, and then placed in her car. Mm -hmm. Again, she wasn't wearing makeup or jewelry when she was found. Police found out that she had, in fact, met up with a male friend at a motel. So you said she was estranged with her husband? They were separated. But but they were still living together? No. He lived in a condo not far from where she lived. He had moved out. Oh, okay. But he was close enough, probably like me and, like, we're close enough that you can come and, you know, see the kids or help mm-hmm. me out or whatever. Like, you're not in another town over. But we're not still living together. Right. So, she goes to the motel to meet this dude. Can I just say? Not a motel. Just saying. <laughs> Don't ever ask me to meet up for a little tryst at a motel. <laughs> Anyways. So, Kathy's date volunteered his help. He admits that the two did have sex. And he gives his DNA. Mm-hmm. He also passes a polygraph test and he tells police, look, she had makeup and jewelry on when she left me and it was around two Mm o'clock. So I don't know what happened. He also gave a semen sample and he had not had a vasectomy and was never a suspect. He fully cooperated. Mm -hmm. I mean, they knew someone had a vasectomy. That's a a big. I mean, yeah, you can't fake swimmers when there's not swimmers or vice versa. Yeah. So Steve, her estranged husband, was brought in for questioning a few days later. He told police that he and Kathy had sex the night before she went out. He said she had just got out of the shower when he got there and, you know, she was starting to get ready. He said he approached her and beep boop, she gave him some kitty before she left. Oddly enough, Steve had had a vasectomy Mm -hmm. just a few months before this. Oh, and he was left-handed. Okay. So, just saying. You're playing Clue. Yeah. He was their prom suspect. Of course. 
So Steve suggests to the police that Kathy was on cocaine and was a drug addict. Uh, well, what does that matter, Steve, even if that were true? <sighs> he tells the police that he thinks maybe a member of the Beaumont Mafia oh, did gosh. this to her. So police do not arrest Steve. Because Wait. there's not enough evidence. Oh, okay, I'm like, please tell me they didn't buy no. a Beaumont Mafia story. No, there's not enough evidence. So oh, Kathy's God. family is pissed. Yeah. On Friday, May 17th, Kathy is laid to rest. <sighs> there are no tears from Steve. A caretaker would later come forward and say that after the funeral, he kicked an arrangement of flowers and was removing flowers off of her grave. What a shithead. Uh, what? Shithead Steve. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy's father thought that there was not an arrest because Steve had friends on the police force. His uh. parents were friends with the chief of police. And so he thought the police were trying to cover this up to help Steve. So her dad paints billboard signs and puts them up in his yard to attract attention and pressure the cops into doing something. Love that. Kathy's grave was often vandalized, too. What? To the point that her family hired a private investigator to see who the fuck. Who would do that? Sure enough, it was Steve. Are you freaking kidding Kathy's me? Kathy's ex. And when I say vandalized, like, her gravestone was trashed. What? Flowers were thrown away, ripped to shreds. In just that's, that's no, that's just shitty. So Kathy's dad takes him to civil court for wrongful death mm-hmm. of his daughter. This would stop him from collecting payments from her life insurance, and he was found financially liable for his wife's death in order to pay two hundred thousand dollars to the Fulton family. Mm-hmm. They also found him guilty of vandalizing his wife's grave multiple times. What? Yeah, terrible person. Oh, and get this. The police investigation was flawed from the get-go. The steps usually taken to ensure evidence was preserved was not. They lost evidence. You're going to have a heart attack. There was no film in the camera that they used to take photos of Kathy's body. What? Or the crime scene whatsoever. No film in the camera. There's no photos. No photos. Not a crime scene photo, not a photo of her body, nothing. There was no no film in the camera. Oh. Yeah. My lord. Yeah. Oh. You had one fucking job. Oh, my. Oh, my. Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh. So there's nothing. So there's nothing. It took them three years to get a warrant. Three years to get a warrant to search her house. All evidence is gone. <sighs> so that's why they have no evidence yeah. to do do? arrest Steve or charge him with anything. So I don't know if it was small town, didn't have the resource, or the knowledge that you had to put film in a camera. I don't know. So anyways, they... Like it was just empty yeah, where the roll should no, be? Yeah. Nothing in it. Not a thing. Nothing. Mm-mm. It's like if I gave Max a camera and was like, here, go take pictures, and there was nothing in there. Oh, my Like you gave give a kid a toy to play with. Yeah. <sighs> Kathy's family believes that the police and the DA are covering for Steve and have let him get away with murder. Kathy's dad continues to put billboards up with Kathy's case on it, which is still unsolved. He said he'll stop when he dies. He just wants justice for his little girl. Heart, oh, it just makes me tear up. So according to Kathy's sister, Steve found two numbers the night that she went out. One was Charlotte's, her friend, and the other's was the motel. He was furious after finding out that she had lied about where she was going that night. And her family believes that she came home, he was asleep, she went to the bathroom to wash her makeup off and take her jewelry off to get ready for bed. Steve comes in the bathroom and rapes her and then strangles her, then cleans her up and puts her in the car and stages the scene. He swears he had nothing to do with it and that everyone is just accusing him because he's the estranged husband. Uh He claims that he has received death threats from the Beaumont Mafia. I can't even say that with a straight face. The Beaumont Mafia. And they told him they would do the same thing to him. I'm like, really? They're going to rape you and strangle you, sir? Come on, Steve. Oh, my God. He thinks the police are framing him for murder and that he tried to cooperate with them, but they just drug him through the mud and they didn't look at any other leads. Kathy's sister also disagrees with his claims that they were trying to work on their marriage. She says it was too far gone and Kathy was moving on with her life and was planning to divorce Steve. 
that Steve was controlling and he hit her sometimes and she had seen bruises on her sister's body, but kept it quiet from her parents and from other, yeah. you know, she, she's her sister. Yeah. She doesn't believe that Kathy had sex with him or would have had sex with him voluntarily right before going out to see the guy she was dating. Yeah, even just no. from a logical perspective, no. like what? No, you're going to be riding dirty to the motel. No, she's no. not. Give me a break. Mm-mm. Kathy's friend Charlotte would also say that Kathy did call her before she went out and was like, hey, cover for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to see this dude. Steve doesn't know. I don't want any fucking mm-hmm. hands thrown. So just don't answer the phone. Yeah. if he call- Just don't answer. So, she said around 2 a.m., someone did call her house and she answered, you know, hello, hello. Mm -hmm. They never said anything and hung up. So, she knows it was Steve. Steve also called Charlotte right before the police told him that they had found Kathy's body. So, he didn't know Kathy's dead yet, but he called Charlotte and said he was looking for her. She's still covering for a friend. Yeah. She's like, man, she's unhooked up in this motel with boo-boo, and she's not home yet. Yeah. So she was like. She didn't think anything bad. No, she yeah. was like, she left my house around two. Like, she's still covering for a friend. It would also come out that he had removed carpet from the living room. Mm. One story, he said he spilt grease on it. Another said that there was blood on it because she cut herself because she liked to shave her legs in the living room. Um, I don't know. What? You're, I'm sorry. Do you shave your legs in the living room? Uh, no, I shave where there's water present. I'm like, do you typically just get in a, a bathroom? Do you get a bowl? Do you get a, like a coffee cup full of water? Why would you do that? That's I mean, it's terrible. If, mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Anyways. Shaves her legs in, in the, the living, living room. room. And that she cut her leg and so blood dripped on the carpet. And so he had to remove it because it looked like evidence. Of a crime. Says someone, I cut myself shaving constantly, but when you cut yourself, it's not enough to where you're like, this is going to be suspicious. I mean, have you ever cut like your ankle? I have. That bleeds a lot. I'm just going to play the devil's advocate. I guess my thing is I'm in the water, so it's, you know, getting rinsed off or whatever. I'm not on the carpet. You never get to like cut yourself and have to like put the toilet paper on? No, I do, but it's not like. It hurts so bad. I wouldn't think that. I mean, if she cut herself, wouldn't she like immediately? Is she just right. dripping? On? She just dripping? He's just he's mm. just full of shit. Yeah, he's full of shit. So this case is still open. No, it has not been solved. Is he still alive? There have been no arrests made, and there's no person of interest. Oh, Lord. Steve still lives in Texas. Tragically, their daughter Monica. Oh my gosh, died daughter. into. So they had two, Aaron and Monica. Monica committed suicide at the age of twenty-eight. Aaron still lives in Texas. <sighs> So if you have any information about this case, you can call the Vider Police Department at 409-769-4561. As of June 2021, the reward for any info in Kathy's case is $50,000. So this case was featured on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and Cold Justice. I like, okay. On an episode of Cold Justice, they did... Have a new witness to the night Kathy was killed. Mm-hmm. They had a man saying he saw a man matching Steve's description walking away from Kathy's car that night, but he hadn't come forward yet because he was with his mistress that night. <laughs> Gosh. Can you imagine being a witness to a crime? It's like you can't say shit because you're cheating. Just say it anyway. Just, I, mean, I mean, maybe. They're maybe like, just... you've, you've shit in your own backyard. I'm keeping this. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's, Mm-mm. Yeah. If, I mean, he was not trying to be on an episode of Snap, this dude. He was like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Lay down, Felicia. Let's go. <laughs> you didn't see anything. Oh. The drama. Wow. I watched that show. I Maybe I skipped that episode. It doesn't sound familiar to me. I know about the movie, but. I don't remember the specific I'll have to go name. Back. I can watch it on my YouTube TV. On my and, of course, the movie, Three mm-hmm. Awards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. If you haven't seen it, which I haven't, I'm going to. Give it a watch. Write us in. Let us know what you think. That's it. That's my story. Kathy Fulton Page. Not that it matters. She's so pretty. I know I say that. Like, it's shocking, but it's like, it. Oh, just, yeah. not that it matters. I but. know. That's what I was thinking. In my case, it's 
people don't want to, I mean, you're not supposed to say they're pretty or whatever, but I mean, like in my case, Carla was so pretty. And so young. So pretty. I mean, just gorgeous. Like, Oh, Do you it, ever think what if some what would they say about you? They better say I'm pretty. I'd <laughs> be like, they're that that bitch Ashley. She cussed all the time. She questionable morals. Oh, She's kind of cute, but I wouldn't say <laughs> that oh, wouldn't be my go-to. <laughs> oh, give me a break. <laughs> she liked the bars. Oh, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Oh, but anyways, well, these cases suck per usual. They're sad. Oh, they are sad. God, we hate it. I hope that I hope that somebody knows something, finds out something. I mean, and I mean, if someone, one of his friends, maybe. But it's like that's you have hard. to have evidence. That's the suckiest part. And those photos, <sighs> no photos. Yeah, there's nothing. And that's so sad that her dad is just like he's probably 170. And he's out there with these billboards, like, I'm not giving up. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a parent's love. I mean, that for sure ugh, breaks my heart. I can't even, don't even want to go there. I don't either. <sighs> Anyways, let's switch gears. Okay. What's going on? Well, we have a new patron. We love it. Paige D. Paige D. From Illinois. Yay! Isn't that where we are next week? Is it? Close. We're sometime in the the near future. I think it is. Thank you, Paige. Thanks for joining our weird and wonderful Patreon family. Yes, we are. We're in Illinois next week. Hey, Paige. We're coming to you. We did this for you. We did. Be sure to join the Facebook group with our other patrons. I've been kind of under the weather. haven't been posting much to it yet. I promise I will. And you always hear us talk about fun drag shows. And if you're in the central Arkansas area on Sunday, May 22nd, Head to Charlie's Good Time Drinkery for their drag brunch. Be sure to reserve a table. It's a great show. They sell out fast. They sell out fast. Well, I guess not sell out. They reserve out fast. Reserve out fast. <laughs> That's what I meant. But it's a great show. Take your ones. Eat some food. The brunch menu is really good. I had a breakfast burrito. One of our friends had chicken and waffles. They even cut it up for you, which Lacey, I Lacey appreciate that. Lacey loves to plug, plug food. I love to plug she food. She loves drag queens and chicken. I <laughs> Where's the lie? <sighs> I also have a, uh, I don't know what to call this, a, um, it's not a correction, it's a, oh, uh, boy. um, I'm, what did I fuck up? No, not you. Um, okay, so last week's case, when I talked about Diane Zaleski, I talked about the, the underwear, the semen, and I kind of went over that quickly because thinking about Brother semen on underwear. I was like, Ugh, I'm just be bopping past that. Well, one of our Instagram followers was like, hold up. Are we saying that her brother semen was on the wrong underwear? And this woman mistakenly wore them. You know, like semen doesn't wash off in a wash cycle. This has me confused. And I went over it fast. And to be honest, we don't know completely what happened. We're just speculating. Oh, no. I, now I'm thinking, did she put on her sister-in-law's dirty well, wait, panties? Well, I can. So... Not a snail trail. No, but okay. This is something we talk about. Semen was found. Semen was found. Blah, blah, blah. A lot. Take a drink every time Lacey says semen. (laughs) But the thing is, is it's not always just like dried up. Snail trail. Yes. It's not when they get DNA from semen, it's not always that type. Like, oh, it just happened. So I did some looking on some research yes and yeah so believe it or not semen can be detected on clothing or linens after being washed like completely washed oh damn i I read in (laughs) i know everybody go clean even more so i read in one study that in some cases it can be detected after being washed six times (gasps) and a genetic profile can still possibly be retrieved from that semen that's been washed through the cycle six times so when i'm i don't know well what and then you just like wash your wash your panties and you put them in the drawer and then they get moved to the back and you may not wear them again for like a month exactly man i know some girls that if anything ever happens to them it's gonna be like maury exactly five dudes lined up we found your dna so in her case Her brother and sister-in-law were like, she did her laundry at our place a lot. 
The sister-in-law wore the same underwear style and size as her. Maybe she grabbed the wrong pair of clean. That we don't, again, we don't know exactly what went down, why her brother Seaman was on the underwear. And I'm so sorry. This is why I went over it very quickly. (sighs) So we don't know what happened, but I'm saying, I don't think she grabbed the underwear and was like, ew, these are dirty. You know, I think likely they were washed. But again, we don't know. But I'm just saying, yeah, semen can still show up after being washed. So this may be, and I don't know how to word this, because it's super gross no matter how. I know. That's why I went over it so fast. And I get it. It's confusing. Because you're like, wait, she saw their semen on underwear. Like, what about girls' secretions? Can that live on? Like, well, sheets lucky or comforter? For you, Did I you still Google have, it? Oh, I have some, that's scientific journals on my phone still. <sighs> so a vaginal secretions? Let me Where see. Where has this podcast gone? <laughs> I mean, I don't know for sure, but probably. They're mm-hmm. just talking about semen in this article. And even, oh God, prostate-specific antigens, which is a secretion. Oh God, I'm so sorry, everyone. I just want to know, like, if you lay your kitty on somebody's sheets. Potentially, yes. Not always. It didn't say but the what? semen cannot, oh, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you wash it once and it is out. It's just sometimes it isn't, I guess, how much OxyClean are you using? I don't know the are answers you, to this. Believe it or not, it, hot? it was hard for me to find this very specific question is to this be an answered. off-brand detergent that you're using? So, yeah. Well, and oh, so our study shows that it's possible to obtain interpretable interpretable DNA results also on washed saliva stains. So I would assume female secretions too. How do you know if there's a saliva stain? I mean, do you just swab a crotch of a pair of panties? Well, they're probably using a um, light or something to see stains. You know what I mean? It probably shows up under more microscope. I mean, think of it this way. You get blood on something, you wash it, and you still have the stain. It doesn't mean that it's dirty, quote unquote. You know what I mean? I'm it's, sorry, but I'm 41. You're still like, no. And I've been around some semen. You're washing your sheets seven times. But <laughs> I've never been around semen that has stained anything. That's a, that's a potent swimmer. If it's staining well, you might not be able to see it though. Then it's not a. Isn't the the epitome of a stain means that you can't wash it out and you can see it? Well, through a microscope or light, though. But who like luminol? When you that's still a spe- a stain. It's just not a stain to the human eye. Mm. See what I'm saying? Sorcery. Yeah. Sorry for that tangent, but just cl- the clears things know. up. I'm like, yeah. Well, actually, you can, can't well, always wash semen off. Thanks for that little. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if that, I hope that clarifies. Well, that I'm going to leave here and go buy some shout. I really and panty liners. <laughs> look, I went over it quickly on purpose. I didn't, but look, I'm getting into it anyway. So I'm coming at you with the scientific Lazy research. Lazy came in hot. Coming at you with the info on mm-hmm. this. I'm so sorry. If you have the more any questions, you know, any questions about secretions and semen, I still have the article up on my phone. Send send them all to Lacey. I might go back and link this in that show note, <sighs> in the New Jersey show notes, so y'all can just read it for yourself. Look, I didn't I'm make it up. I'm kind of grossed out right now. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, what else is new? Nothing. I can't think about anything now. But I know. I didn't. Every <laughs> pair of underwear I didn't in my drawer. I didn't want to talk about it the first time. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it then. Oh. Well, those are all the things. We'll see you next week in Illinois. Yeah. See ya. Wash your drawers. Wash your drawers. (laughs)